Hello. We're looking at parables of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen some parables which help us to understand the kingdom, the kingdom explained. And now we're going to look at another set of parables in Luke's gospel under the subheading, the kingdom displayed. And we've got the very famous Good Samaritan parable on this occasion. And the reading is Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And it reads... On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can read the Bible and we can read about things your son said and these amazing parables. And we ask that you teach us now, help us to enter into what it means to live as part of your kingdom and we pray that your kingdom would be displayed in our attitudes our behavior and our words so teach us now we pray in Jesus name Amen right. so looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan and the key to this passage is the one who had mercy is the neighbor now first of all a lawyer tries to test Jesus we go back to verse 25 it says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life now how does this fit in with the idea of saved by grace Jesus replies to the man what is written in the law he replied how do you read it he answered love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Hmm. Now, notice the intention of the lawyer in asking the question. He did it to test or tempt Jesus. And notice also what the man asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answers the man in a way that we probably wouldn't, certainly I wouldn't have, have done so. He answers the man in a canny, clever way. 
If the man was truly seeking to be saved with a repentant heart, humbly asking the Lord, save me, how, how can I be in the kingdom of heaven? The answer would have been different, I'm sure. But this man wasn't wanting, nor was he ready for that answer. He needed to be made aware of his fundamental problem. Jesus wasn't suggesting that the man could actually do something to inherit eternal life himself. Jesus is saying, in effect, okay, if you're thinking along those lines, what does the law say according to your opinion? What do you think is the way to get eternal life? Now remember this is a Jewish context and the people that Jesus was speaking to, particularly this man, were Jews and they, and this man was an expert in, in the Old Testament. They knew it. He knew it. Well, the man knows the Old Testament and rightly sees the law as summarized. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also says the same when he sums up the heart of the Old Testament law. So this lawyer appears to be very biblically sound in that sense, very astute. He knows his stuff. Okay, Jesus says, if that's your conclusion about how you can gain eternal life, do this and you will live. And in theory, if anyone does keep the whole law of God, utterly loving God and loving our neighbor in the same way as we love ourselves, if someone never breaks these principles and puts them into practice, they are sinless and will not die. But the Lord leaves it hanging for this man to consider. Now maybe sometimes we're too quick to fill in the blanks when we talk to people. Obviously the, the circumstances and whether we are likely to see a person again make a difference. But better to leave people with something to think about rather than give them everything and overwhelm them with information. Maybe we are so eager to give people the gospel solution that we haven't given time for the sin problem to sink in. Now, of course, circumstances will uh, make a difference how we speak to individuals, but there's a, there is a principle here. The man sees that he hasn't stumped Jesus, and I wonder if he recognises in his heart that it's impossible to truly love God and his neighbour. No, nowhere near perfectly. So maybe he is convicted, feeling uncomfortable, but at the moment his main aim is to trap Jesus. He's not in a seeking God mode. And he knows he cannot squirm to lessen the need to love God. Who could argue against that? But he can quibble about the definition of neighbour. The religious leaders were often trying to define terms and who and how and when to apply the law of God. And it ended up so complicated and so often the very spirit of God's law was lost in all the details they added. And we also need to be careful of that at times. Now, if what you mean by neighbour can be narrowed down to certain people, nice people like you and people that you like, then to love nice people wouldn't be so bad, wouldn't be so hard. That means that the lawyer would ideally like a definition of neighbour that was the same as his. He can probably see that it must mean more than just the people next door, but how far does the definition stretch? And there's a clue also in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? The Lord tells me to love my neighbour as myself, but who exactly is my neighbour? How far do I have to stretch in loving others? 
Now the man set the original question as a trap, and most likely this second question was a follow-on trap, if you like. In the game of chess it was a check. But Jesus is several moves ahead. And what Jesus is doing is to, to smash this man's self-righteousness. Jesus doesn't attack this lawyer personally. He doesn't attack his duplicity directly, his intention of trapping Jesus. He knows what's going on. Instead, Jesus is very merciful to this man. He sees that this man needs to be brought to his knees. He sees that he is a sinner who needs God's mercy. So the Lord knows he's facing a trap. Now, if Jesus had said that your neighbor is, is everyone, of course, including foreigners, the Romans even, then the religious establishment could accuse Jesus of being a collaborator with the enemy, and that would cause trouble. The Lord would not say, just love your fellow Israelites, because it wasn't right. It wasn't true to the Old Testament even, and that could be used also to report him to the Romans that Jesus was stirring up rebellion and preaching hatred about them. So Jesus gives him a parable, probably one of the most famous parables. And so secondly, we see this parable that probes the lawyer's heart. Now remember that this set of parables is what the Lord uses to show how the kingdom of heaven will be displayed in the lives of its citizens. And these serve to show us how Christians, how we should live. So we have a man on a dangerous journey going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, literally downhill. And the assumption would be that this man is an Israeli, otherwise it would have been mentioned. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And then we see the reaction of the religious establishment represented by two characters from it. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we have a priest who administered the sacrifices in the temple, and we have a Levite who assisted the priests and carried out a variety of duties in and around the temple. From Jerusalem means that they had done their shift at the temple, and they were most likely going home. If it had been the other way round, it would have been awkward to help the man, as they would become ceremonially unclean and have to miss their shift, but they didn't even have that excuse. So basically, they have no compassion on this man, no mercy, a fellow Israelite. They walk on by. But we see in this story the mercy of an enemy. There's a dramatic build-up in this story from the perspective of the listeners of the day. An Israeli man mugged. A priest comes by and walks on by. The Levite comes by and walks on by. What nice Israelite would come by to help? And it's a Samaritan. A Samaritan would be the last person the lawyer or anyone else around would have expected next in the story. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now two denarii was two full days wages for a labourer but they would pay for care for at least a week or two. So the innkeeper would not lose out, 
look after the injured man, plus the promise of more money to cover further costs. The Samaritan is generous. He goes the extra mile, making sure that this man is cared for properly. So we have a parable that probes the lawyer's heart. And then thirdly, we see it moves from the parable to the practical. Now the answer to who is my neighbour, which is the purpose of the parable, verse 36. Which of these three, Jesus says, do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In the kingdom of heaven, who is my neighbour is not the issue. It's who I can care for. Who can I help? Who can I reflect God's mercy to? And in doing that, we become the neighbour. Being the good neighbour, being the merciful person to anyone I have, I have opportunity, that is the aim. Now Jesus told this religious expert, go and do likewise. And the Greek implies go and keep doing as a matter of lifestyle, as a habit. So what were Jesus' parting words here designed to do? Why does Jesus leave it hanging there? Why doesn't he give this man the whole gospel? <laughs> we know that obeying the law cannot save us. Going and being merciful won't save us. But we'd never do it perfectly. And we can't go back in the past and erase our past mistakes, can we? Uh, even if we could, from now on, do what's right cons consistently. And then what about all the other principles and commands we break other than love your neighbour? Galatians 2 verse 16 says, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. And of course Jesus knew this. This is why he came into the world to save us. Romans 3 verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. And here's the clue to why Jesus leaves this parable hanging and this challenge hanging in this man's mind. The Lord Jesus tells the lawyer, Go and love the Lord with everything you are, and go and show mercy to all people, even enemies. Go and do that perfectly. To be sure that you have eternal life. Now if the man was honest with himself and God, he would know that he cannot do what is necessary to inherit eternal life. This parable really, as he thinks about it, hopefully he thought about it, is going to smash his self-righteousness, his self-confidence, and cause him to seek for God's mercy, the mercy that Jesus is offering him in the whole gospel, as it will come to pass. Jesus was setting up this proud man to see that he needed a saviour to be merciful to him, not some more teaching or more effort from himself. And Jesus, of course, could have told this man off with trying to trap him, but what Jesus does for him is merciful. It actually is to help him to see where he stands before God, to see his utter weakness and inability to save himself by anything that he can do. If the man had asked Jesus an honest and straightforward question from the beginning, I'm sure he would have answered differently. But this man needs to be stopped in his tracks, to stew in the juice of his sinfulness, as someone put it, 
and then to be ready to start asking honest questions. And so answering him with a parable gives him that chance to think things through, just like we've done now, or hopefully we're doing now. And some practical points for us. How do we ask questions? Maybe we're seeking guidance. Maybe we are upset about something and we kind of asking people questions for help. Do we ask questions in a way to only get the answers we want? Maybe when we're challenged about something. Do we ask other people that we know will give us the answers that are likely to agree with what we think? Do we ask people who we know will be honest with us and straightforward with us? And are we willing to accept their advice? Are we willing to hear what we don't like? Are we willing to change our minds if we need to? Then the second practical question is this, are we merciful people? Now a Samaritan as he travelled, the story goes, came to where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him. Who is my neighbour? The expert in the law is led to his own answer, isn't he? And he replies to Jesus, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The man is left with more than he bargained for. And he, he and we are challenged to our core as to whether we are merciful people. To be in the kingdom of heaven, to follow Jesus as our king, requires us to receive God's mercy and to become merciful people. Those whose definition of neighbour is not narrow, but very broad. And this is one of the genius things about this parable, the way that Jesus answers this man. Because... It again cuts through his self-righteousness to reveal his utter need of mercy before God. And it deals with the, the trap that this man set for him. It's an amazing way that Jesus deals with it through this parable. Now, Matthew 5, verse 7, we read more words of Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who just do merciful things. But blessed are the merciful. Now fourthly, we come to heading from the practical to the personal. From the practical to the personal. And are you a merciful and compassionate person? Am I? Now, mercy, compassion, pity, it's not about mere duty. But as the uh, Vines Dictionary of uh, New Testament word says this, pity or compassion means to be moved as to one's inwards, to be moved with compassion, to yearn with compassion. Mercy and compassion is not merely a duty, but an emotional response to people's needs, even to our enemy when we see them in their need. What the Samaritan did helps us better understand what it means to show mercy. It illustrates the heart of Jesus. It's a picture of God's mercy to us. And we see the compassion, the mercy, the pity of Jesus. Matthew 9 verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mark 8 verse 2, the Lord says, I have compassion for these people, for they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Luke 7 verse 13, when the Lord saw her, the widow lady who had just lost her son, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. 
And this has always been God's heart. From Micah 6 verse 8 in the Old Testament, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord, Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In a commentary on Luke's Gospel, the lawyer wanted to make the issue somewhat complex and philosophical, but Jesus made it simple and practical, and we could add personal. He moved it from duty to love, from debating to doing. Now people talk about compassion fatigue. We have 24-hour news bombarding us with information about disasters and tragedies and there's charity appeals and news of famines and, and plagues and, and even this latest virus. And we need to guard our hearts from becoming hardened to the needs that we see around us. We need to guard our hearts from making it too complicated like the lawyer typically would in this story. We need to guard our hearts to prevent us from simply doing Christian activity out of mere cold duty. It's true that we can't cope with all the needs around us. And we can't save the world ourselves. We know we can't do that. But there's a lot we can do if we keep and develop the grace of mercy in our hearts. Now how do we do that? Well first of all by remembering our need for God's great mercy. For the past, the present and into the future. God has been merciful to us and we need his mercy now and into the future. We rely upon his great mercy. Where would we be if it were not for God's mercy to us? So let's remember that. Secondly, by maintaining a deep and rich relationship with God. You know the saying, like father, like son? Spending time with God, our Father, in his word, submitting to his Holy Spirit, convicting us, challenging us, will make us more merciful people. Thirdly, by responding in acts of mercy, we need to exercise mercy. We need to exercise acts of mercy and pity to others. We need to do good to people in need, even when we don't particularly like them. We need to pray for more felt compassion, but we need to start where we are and go and do. Luke 6 verse 35 But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now what prevents you, what prevents me from being merciful at times? Maybe it is that compassion fatigue that we're suffering from. Maybe a self-indulgence, materialism, a selfishness has crept into our hearts. Maybe we have neglected our relationship with God and we are more shaped by the attitudes of the world than God's heart. Maybe we've got hurt in trying to care for people in the past and we haven't got past that hurt. Well, whatever the reason, feel free to ask for advice or prayer from the eldership of the church. But most of all, go to the cross. There's a, a song written by Stuart Townend and the Gettys. There is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost. You called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress for your streams of forgiveness and the shade of your rest. What boundless love, what fathomless grace you have shown us, O God of compassion. Each day we live an offering of praise as we show to the world your compassion. We stood beneath the cross of Calvary 
and gazed on your face at the thorns of oppression and the wounds of disgrace. For surely you have borne our suffering and carried our grief as you pardoned the scoffer and showed grace to the thief. Remember the compassion the Lord has shown us, the mercy. So not only is the parable of the Good Samaritan an illustration of showing mercy to your neighbour, it smashes all the debating and quibbling over who is my neighbour. Stop labelling and categorising people, putting people in boxes. Just show love, just show mercy for whoever needs it. Be the neighbour. Jesus calls his followers in his kingdom to be bigger hearted, to be merciful people. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven need to be merciful, compassionate people. Why? Because they have been shown such mercy. That is the way of those in the kingdom of heaven. So lastly, in conclusion, what do we do if we're convicted of being lacking in mercy? What if we're feeling that right now? Well, are we going to be hearers of the word and do nothing about it? Hopefully not. Well, what should we do? Let's respond in prayer. Let's confess our lack of mercy and pity and compassion. Let's confess it to God. Let's ask him to create in us a more merciful heart along with the, the rest of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Pray that we'll be changed. And we know that when we pray such prayers, God will answer our prayers because we know that's his purpose, to work in us fruit, to be fruitful. That we might grow to be like Jesus. So we can be confident that he will. And be prepared for the challenge. Be prepared for the being pushed outside your comfort zone, as they say. Pray. Seek God's heart. And before you feel any different, because feeling sometimes can take a while to catch up with actions, before you feel any different, go and be merciful. Pray about someone that you can show love to, mercy to. It's not the way we earn or inherit the kingdom of heaven, we know that. But it's the way that mercy blessed people should be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are challenged as to our attitude of mercy, our feelings of pity and compassion. Lord, we're so bombarded with information nowadays, so many demands, Lord, people asking us from various charities and organisations, and sometimes we are tempted just to switch off from it all because we, we can't cope with it all. And Lord, we know that we can't give to everyone who asks in that sense. We can't give to every charity, we can't go around the world trying to put it all right. But Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom in choosing the organisations, the people that we give to and help and assist, and that you would give us a heart of compassion, Lord, a heart of pity for the world. And Lord, we, we know this is not going to be easy, Lord, to see needs around us and to feel pity and concern for others. But we pray, certainly pray, against the opposite, Lord, of becoming hardened and cold and do our Christian activities out of mere duty. Lord, as we maybe teach a, a Sunday school class, as maybe we lead a young people's group, as maybe we lead a home group, or as a preacher of a church congregation, or whatever ministry we have, Lord, we ask that you would help us not to do it out of mere duty, but Lord, that we would think about those dear lives that you have entrusted to our care 
and that we might love and have compassion upon them and see them in their needs, their struggles, their weaknesses, their challenges. Father, give us a ministry out of a heart of compassion as you had compassion upon us, as you had mercy upon us, sought us in our need, beaten and left dead because of the effects of sin in our lives. But Lord, you stopped by and you were compassionate. You took pity on us. You were merciful to us. And Lord, help us to be the neighbour. Help us stop to stop thinking about definitions of, of neighbour, putting people in categories and boxes, but just help us to be the neighbour to whoever we can care for. Lord God, bless your word to our hearts. Bless it to our lives. May it make a difference for your honour and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.